Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. Let me get into the Word. Um, uh, if you've been here, we've been going through this series called The Bridge. Um, my wife has confessed that uh, after we talked about the, the fishing trip and Brian and Fred made us all do the horrible trip across the Bay Bridge, um, we, should have, um, we should have made this the Bay Bridge, but I thought that would have been tra- traumatic for me. Like, I just would have, like, never looked at the screen. Um, but, um, yeah, we've been going through this series, and we've been looking through the book of Matthew because Matthew, uh, his writing connects um, the, the promise of Jesus in the Old Testament to the, I'm sorry, the promise of everything that would come and the prophecy that was given in the Old Testament to the fulfillment in the life of Christ. And, you know, even like in the actual, like pointing from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's also been some internal bridges. We talked about this last week, how we, had to, we have to go from being not just hearers of the, world, of the word to being doers of the word. This is an internal one. This is like, like there's the refining in our mind that like, yes, I understand that I got to listen to God's word. I got to understand that I got to read God's word. I have to understand that this is something that like I have to take in. I'm supposed to go to church on Sundays. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to care about this, but now I actually got to do something about it. That's a hard bridge to cross. It's not an easy one to do. It's easy to listen to it. Like, like you can't listen to the music, you know, uh, on our radio or the music without having some sort of like pseudo Christian message to it, right? Even if it's used out of context, people listen to it, even when they don't know it's scripture, but putting it in practice in a way that God intended us to, that, that's the hard part. This morning, we're going to have a similar one. Um, um, kind of like an, an internal bridge, if you will. And, and, and here's like the, the question that we have to go after. Um, how does God see people? How does he see them? Like, wh- what does God think about us? What does God think about the people of the world? And, and, and what's his posture towards them? Can I be honest with you? This is a, this is a very important question especially for what we're called to do and who we're called to be as a church. Because when we're able to understand how God sees people, we have to make a decision if we're going to see them the same way that God does. I think that like, I think that the majority of the world thinks that God is an hateful God who's standing up there waiting for them to mess up. It's pride month right now. And it, like, I don't, I don't know what your attitude towards it is. I don't know, like, how you feel and, and, and things like this. But the hardest thing for me is when I see the signs of people and I totally understand why they feel the way that they feel. I saw a sign downtown the other day. I was in downtown, but it was just, like, on an Instagram account that said, God hates us, but nobody believes in him anyway. And I mean, like, I, I, can, I can point to like a thousand verses that, to, to, like, to say otherwise, that, that, that God is not, that is not the posture of God. But if you would think about what we've done as a church, our fault, what we've done as a church and the posture that we've taken against, you know, everybody's celebrating pride right now and, and, and from, you know, the whole community. And I could pick a million different other issues, by the way. This is just the one that, you know, is the hot one to talk about. And we've just done a really bad job towards probably. 
Why, why wouldn't they think that? Like, I want you to think about it like this. Like, <laughs> if, if um, growing up, did you have, uh, did, did you ever have a, a, a situation where, um, I know that there were some friends that if, if I asked to go over to their house or if we like, were going to like have a, you know, like a play date or something, their parents would always say no. No, I don't want you hanging out with that kid. I, no, I don't want you to, to like, you, he can't come over. You can't go over there. You'd be like, man, your parents must hate us. Like, like, like there was a kid that lived down the street from us that we could only play outside. He couldn't come in our house. We couldn't go in their house. Their house kind of smelled funny anyway. You could just smell it from the door. You ever been to a house? You could just smell it, smell it from the door. Like, you know, but because like there was this, you know, this, this distance I never even met his parents, like besides just seeing him walk in and out of the house. But we knew that we could only play outside. Howard, that, his name was Howard. And I was like, Howard could come outside and play and, I, and we could play like in our little cul-de-sac, but Howard can come in my house and we can go in Howard's house. Everybody else coming to, to my house to play video games, but Howard couldn't come. I'm like, man, Howard's parents hate us. The, like, similarly, don't you think like this is what the world thinks? I don't think I'm putting too much on it. I think, like, I think we could turn on the TV and think this is what the world thinks. What I want to show you is Jesus, like, like Matthew's going to like, you know, like I think he, like this is one of these moments where Matthew just kind of takes a step back and gives you the picture of Jesus and almost like, you know, defines his actions and his posture towards people as best as he can. I'm in Matthew chapter nine. I'm in uh, verse, uh, starting in verse 35. It's going to be up there too if you don't got your word. Reads like this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So listen, up until this point, let me give you a little bit of background. Up until this point, the disciples were just watching. They were in school. They're like, they're like, this is their college course. This is their, like, their pseudo like, ministry training. They're just watching Jesus and, like, and being taught by Jesus themselves. Like, like that, that's, that's what's happening. Remember, like, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes and sits down, and he allows the disciples to come with him, and then the crowd goes behind him. And even at the wedding, Jesus like, hey, I'm going to a wedding. You guys are coming with me. They're just going with Jesus and following him from place to place. Since the first time that he, he met them, they're, they're just following him. And what we're reading right here is the beginning of Jesus employing them. After this passage, like Jesus is like, okay, hey, you guys, you saw what I've been doing, right? We've been walking around. We've been, we've been on a journey. Now it's your turn. Now it's your time to go to proclaim the gospel. It's, it's your time to go from the cities in the, in the villages. It's, it's, it's your time to uh, uh, proclaim the kingdom and, and to teach in the synagogues. And I'm even going to give you the power to heal every disease and affliction. Matthew is summarizing Jesus's threefold of ministry, that, that idea of, uh, of, 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 of uh, proclaiming and, and of, uh, of preaching and, um, I'm sorry, proclaiming and teaching and healing every disease and affliction. Um, and these verses 
we see that his healing ministry was the purpose for authenticating him as the Messiah. This is important because I think like you get in like some churches, you get in some sex and ministry where they think like, oh, the main thing is the healing. The main thing that Jesus did, that his purpose was like, Jesus was a superhero. Jesus came down and his purpose on earth was to cure people. Yes, of a, for eternal significance, not for, not for, not for uh, uh, um, you know, for our mortal significance. Does that make sense? Like, like Jesus was like, like the purpose of his healing was that, yes, I see you in your affliction. I see you in your harassed state and, and I'm willing to, 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 to relieve you of this, but only to point to myself as the Messiah. It was a means to an end because what happened to every single person that he healed? Oh, he healed the blind. He'd healed the sick. He healed the lame, but those people eventually died, right? Jesus didn't heal them of, of, their, of, their, uh, of, their, of their mortal lives. He did that so he could point back to himself. Remember what Jesus said a lot of times when he healed folks? He said, um, now go and sin no more. Now go and confess your sins and sin no more. Go and, and you know, like, like, like live towards me. Go and follow me now. That was his purpose. The, uh, he had uh, the spectacular nature of Jesus' ministry attracted large crowds. And I love what it says here because it says as, as the crowds came and Jesus observed them. It's this word that actually is only either attributed to Jesus himself or was used by Jesus in his parables, this word of compassion. I'm going to talk about that for a second because a lot of times we think of compassion as just like, we, it's, it's almost always shows up when you think about a woman, either Jesus or women. But we only think about it in terms of like just having sympathy for somebody. I, I, I hope that like, you know, by, you leave this morning by thinking of compassion differently. That it's not just somebody who just has a heart for people or someone who just cares about people. But I, I believe that the compassion that Jesus is like talking about himself and that Matthew contributes to Jesus is one of divine nature. That Jesus has this compassion, and I believe that you and I as believers that we can have as well only through, the, only through a connection with Jesus. But this is differently than just someone who just, who just feels bad for people. Our main idea this morning is the idea of this, that the heart of Jesus is full of compassion. This is the heart of Jesus. Why else when Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, he's done it. He, he's, he's, he's done everything. It, it's, it's over. He's, he's completed the mission. He's fulfilled all the prophecies. It's all, it's all done. And then even in his last breath, he has one thief on one side mocking him. He's like, my man, like they done beat me. I'm up here naked. I've been beat everything. And, and like in my last days, I can't get no peace. Like just let me die in peace. And you over here mocking me. So has someone in jabbing his ear and then another guy saying like, hey, um, Leave, leave him alone. Don't you see that this is the son of God? Matter of fact, hey, Jesus, would you remember me when you enter the kingdom? In his last days, like, like this is the heart of compassion. I know for me, like, give me a headache. I have a hard time, like, my kids, like, dad, I know you're like, your head is like thumping, but uh, can you just make me like a, a four course dinner right now? No, Cole, go away. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not the most compassionate person when I have a headache. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the heart of Jesus. When someone doesn't deserve it, get in their just you know, punishment. This is the posture of Jesus. But I'm skipping ahead. Um, the heart of Jesus is full of compassion. 
The core of Jesus' posture towards us is compassion. Let's go back through the verse. Um, It starts and says that, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I want you to just remember this. Like, Like, I think it should never go past, it should never get too far from our mind that Jesus is God in human flesh. And what he's doing is a missions trip. Jesus is on a, like this, this upcoming week, uh, we have a team coming from uh, Indiana and Ohio, and they're, they're coming all the way out here. They're going to spend some time down in DC area, and they're going to be up here in Baltimore with us on Thursday and, and Saturday. And it's a, like, I, I look at them like, man, they're going to drive all the way up here to Towson from the, uh, from the DC area. They don't know what they, what, <laughs> they don't, they don't get it. They're like, oh, Dan, it's only this many miles. I'm like, all right, it, good luck. See you in two hours. You know, like, like that's a hard enough labor intensive trip in itself. But I just want us to think like, this is Jesus. Jesus has a three-year-long missions trip, not out of duty, not because like this is what he had to do, because this is what he wanted to do. Like that whole idea of, of Jesus and his presence is that he took, he set his glory aside, him being, him being God, set it aside and said, I'm going to go live amongst them in order to save them. And Jesus is going through all the cities and villages. Like this is Jesus going to like places like Baltimore and Towson, but also going to places like, I don't know, one of these little, like, like, like in like all the little towns, this is going for Jesus going to the hard places to go and where there's tons of people or it would be easy where there's a big old synagogue and synagogue and people, like a, lot, a lot of folks will come and even going to the places where there's just a few people there. Jesus is reaching the masses and reaching the smalls. Jesus is valuing both. He's teaching in the synagogues. Jesus is going to where, like where, where it would be expected to happen. But he's also proclaiming the gospel. He's not just there with the other rabbis and, and doing what they're doing, but holding the same office as them, but also proclaiming about the gospel in the kingdom. And, and also don't let this part get away from it. Jesus is meeting their physical needs. Jesus is meeting physical needs. Um, on one side, I think that sometimes that pastors overvalue the healing of Jesus, like, like, like that was the main thing. But the other side of it, for those of us who sit on here and we walk past homeless people every day and we're able to ignore the, the, the widows and the shut-ins and things like that, Jesus is meeting physical needs. That's important. Jesus is like, listen, if, 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 I'm, if I want to tell people that like I love them and I care about them, I need to show them that I care. I'm not going to be like, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, let me actually meet some, some, some physical needs. The promise of a long-awaited Messiah had finally come. His healing miracles were a sign that, that the teachings were true. So I, I think that for us, if we're going to be in connection with Jesus, we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to not skate around the reality that people have physical needs. That's one of the reasons why we're doing the food drive is because we can't say that we're a church, a, a, church, a church that's here for Towson, church in Towson, church, I guess that's how that came out, church that's here for Towson, unless we meet the needs. It doesn't make sense. Like if we just ignore what's going on and we come in here and play church, we're not doing anything. I think people like have a hard time understanding that there's a God who loves them and who has compassion for them. And, and, and Jesus' heart is full of compassion if it doesn't play out in a physical way. I'll pray for them. I'll think about them. I'll 
If, if we were to do a fundraiser that gives a lot of money to the food bank or something like that, I, I will give to that. But I ain't touching nobody. I, I like, like this, this $20 in my pocket, that's for me. There's not been one time when I've gotten money out of like cash back from the grocery store or from the bank when I've gotten it out so I can give my kids allowance that I haven't ended up giving it away on my, like before, I, before I was able to give it to my kids. Mostly because my kids don't do chores. But, you know, like, but when I intended, to, but I intended to give it to them, God sent somebody along the way. And I'm like, man, I, <laughs> full disclosure, I never want to give it away. Never. But God brings to the front of my mind, like, and I don't think of every reason why. But God will always send somebody. I, I think part of what it means to, like, to, to you know, to, to, uh, to, to match Jesus in this idea of, of helping people and, and, and going into, like, you know, uh, having a, a posture of, of willing to uh, heal people and, and meet physical needs, you just got to be willing to do it. And what we need to, like, understand for, for all of this, when we think about this passage, that Jesus is going to the uh, villages and he's going to the cities and he's teaching and he's healing, is that Jesus went to them. If, if the Lord and Savior, if Jesus is willing to go to people, how much more should you and I be willing to go? If Jesus, like Jesus didn't just, like, Jesus didn't just stay on the Sermon of the Mount. Wouldn't this story make a lot more sense? He's, he's the king, right? A lot of times you think of a king in a high place. What if Jesus just plopped down on the mountain and he said, all right, I'm going to be preaching at two every week. Come listen to me. Go off into your cities and towns. And then come back and get the next sermon next week. And you can, I'll send out ships. Disciples, you guys know how to fish, right? You guys get the boats. You go get people. You just keep bringing them back to me. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus got off of his, off of the mountain. And Jesus walked around. He went in every town. And then Jesus said, you know what? I can do this better if I send out 12 people to do it. This, this, this ministry can, do, can go a lot faster. It can go a lot farther with just these 12 people. And matter of fact, these 12 people will be the pillars of the church. Let's go get this ministry training. If Jesus was willing to go to people, shouldn't you and I be willing to go? The next verse says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Again, I just want to reiterate what I said at the beginning, that what Jesus saw, it wasn't disgust. It wasn't like the idea of like, I want nothing to do with them. This wasn't like the beginning of a Disney movie, like, like the big green or, or like, like the Remember the Titans when like the new coach like uh, shows up and the team's just like horrible. And they're like, I got to fix this into shape. And the whole story is about him rebuilding the program like Coach Carter, right? That's not what Jesus did. He didn't show up or like one of the fixer uppers. Like Jesus just said, like, this is horrible. I mean, Jesus is like, no, I, I, have, I have compassion for them. I think there's, like, there's something significant in the, in the saw part when it says when he saw the crowds that I know you and I, like one of the things that we're really good at as humans, even if our eyes are 20-20 vision, we can ignore people or we can ignore what's going on. You know, I, I think it's significant that we live in a city with the beltway. I grew up in one. And if like, you know, a lot of times, like obviously you could drive faster on 695, you can cut through the city. But one of the things that you do by going around the beltway is that you ignore everything that's happening on the inside of the city. You don't know what's happening there. 
Like um, my wife and some of the other uh, folks in this room, they teach uh, at a, a Christian school up here in Perry Hall. And my wife told me, say, Dane, there are kids in my class that live here that have never been in inner city Baltimore. So is that true? Like, like, there's, like there's, there's kids that live in our area that have never been down there because they've been fed with this thing like it is dangerous down there. Like it's, like, like it's a wildlife park. Like you can't go down there. Like, like th- there are animals that just happen. And at dark, psh, it was the same thing in D.C., Every year we used to do, Mike, you remember this? We, we used to do a, um, uh, um, uh, a homeless outreach. But the thing, you can't do a homeless outreach in D.C. in the middle of the day. You got to do it at night. You know, because like, the population is so big that unless you make it into the shelters by 6 o'clock, you don't get to go in. So we would always wait until after it got dark. We would pack up sandwiches and coffee and things and socks and things, and we would go pass out things. And I would literally have parents saying like, hey, my kids can't go and serve Jesus. It's too dangerous. I'm like, okay, great. I'll, I'll let you know when, it's, when we do the trip when it's safe to serve Jesus. That, that, that I'll let you know when we have that one coming up. I, I just think that that's just the posture that we have to have. That if, 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 if you know, if when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the needs, when he saw things, he had compassion for them. This is the equivalent to like walking down the hallway and someone just like visibly has a bad day and they drop all their stuff on the floor. There's people that feel bad, like, man, it is a shame. They just dropped off everything and they spilled their coffee. I hope somebody buys them another one and keeps walking to the thing of like, man, like I, 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 I got to stop everything. Whatever I was doing is less important because this is the main thing. I have a friend that, um, that lives outside of L.A., and um, he's a pastor and he also works for like an outreach organization. He has it scheduled into his week where he wakes up early, fasts and prays and says, God, I'm going to the middle of LA and I'm just praying that I will be in a position where I can just like help people because I love and have compassion for them. Imagine that being like part of like your week. And him and his family has agreed to this. Like this is the day when dad just goes and stands in the middle of LA and God's just gonna like put him there because he has compassion. I'm gonna go to this place with a heart full of compassion just to help people. What American has time for, has time for that? A pastor, right? Like, that, like, that's what we should be doing. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, I remember um, we were at Towson Town Fest. Uh, me, Sarah, and, and Jen were there. And um, there was a woman who uh, lost her kid. And it, it was one of the most, like, beautiful pictures of, like, humanity that happened um, where this woman was frantic, was just like fully like forget any like, didn't care how what people thought, had just, you know, was like running around just like enlisting anybody at all that could help her find her kid. And nobody was like, man, that's a bad mom right there. She didn't even got her kids. Like, like this is horrible. Like where's her, she doesn't have a, a, a air tag on her kid. What is happening? And everything stopped and everybody just joined in. We're all like, like she has a picture of her kid on the phone. I pull out uh, a picture, I show it to Jen, and Jen takes off running one way, and I take off running the other way. And like anybody and everybody just like pitched in to help. Because like, like th- there was something lost. And then when they found the kid, people started clapping. <laughs> you know, it, it was just like weird, cool, little kumbaya moment in the middle of Towson. Man, but what, what, like, why does that happen? It's because that people are able to see like how frantic she was, how, how, like, how scary this was, and because it was something that, like, you know, that, that we could be united and caring about. A lost kid is a big deal. 
it's, it, it, it's scary. Like, and, and you could see the concern and the, uh, and the panic of this woman that you wanted to just be involved. Sometimes it's really easy to ignore people going through a hard time. The faster life is, is moving, the more unlikely we are to, to stop and have compassion for people. It's kind of the difference between if somebody, if you're walking down the hallway and somebody drops something, you're probably more willing to, to stop and help it than uh, if you're driving down 695 and you see a broken car on the side of the road, you're going a lot faster. It'll be a lot more inconvenient to stop and help because life moves fast. Maybe the prayer that we need to have our lives is that God, would you slow life down enough that I, have, can, I can have the compassion to help people? I can have that same uh, compassion that you did. The verb to have compassion means to, to feel deep sympathy, deep sympathy. I would even say it's even uh, uh, bigger than that, than, the, than a definition you would find online. I would say that compassion is to identify with the situation of others so much that one is prepared to act for their benefit. Compassion is to identify with the situation of others so much that one is prepared to act for their benefit. I think that's what it's got to be. Right, like, like that we would, you know, like we would, it, it, it would bother us. That we would see what people are going through and it would give us the, the urge. It would make us get off of, off of our butts and get on our feet and, and, and be prepared to act for their benefit. Um, in the New Testament, like I said, this verb is always used of Jesus or, or by Jesus in his parables. So it's a lot bigger than human pity. Like you and I all know the person that when we're going through a hard time that will just rub our back and maybe give us some tea and, and a snack and tell us that it's going to be okay. It's bigger than that. But it's divine compassion for troubled people. This means we won't find examples of compassion in the world, but they only exist in Jesus and those who follow Jesus. I think there's examples. I think that there are some great organizations that, that are doing great things for, for troubled people and, and, and groups that are trying to free, like, you know, uh, slaves around the world that, that are doing great work. And I'm not, I don't mean to disparage them at all. I think that the difference is that Jesus does something that's going to last eternally. When we can make people's situations better, there, you know, like the, the, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of Christian organizations drilling you know, wells and stuff in Africa, the best ones are ones that are not linked to a, a religious organization at all. They're doing great work and they got better equipment. And that's a great thing. Yeah, but, the, but it's not linked to something eternal that's going to last longer. Um, the, the, uh, Jesus points to this, um, uh, this idea of, um, uh, of sheep, right? He says that... Um, when he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, and, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We've heard Jesus talk about sheep before. Uh, um, Jesus talked about uh, saying that I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The idea of being someone that, you know, like has to protect their sheep. If you know anything about sheep, that they're not the smartest of animals and they have no defense mechanism whatsoever. That's why they have to train dogs to protect them. That's why shepherds have to sleep in the fields with them because it, they can get stuck in a bush and, and die. They can get eaten by a wolf and die and, and there's nothing that they can do about it. They're just going to perish. And this is the attitude of Jesus towards people, towards people that are, 
on the brink of coming to know him and to follow him and people that are far from him. Now, can I just stop for a second and refer back? How does this compare to our idea of what we tend to think or what people may tend to think that Jesus thinks about them? How does this compare to like all the folks that think that they got to clean their lives up or they got to stop doing some, they have to like, you know, they, they got some, I, I, I got to stop, you know, all of these things. I have like, Jesus hates my lifestyle. So I have to come towards him. Yeah. Jesus changes lifestyles. Absolutely. You know, upon coming to know him, he, he, you know, he, he does the cleaning up, he does the fixing up, but it's all for, for your good and his glory. That's what he does. And that's why he does it. But how does this compare? This doesn't sound like somebody that's ready to smite us for, 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 for our lostness. Remember the story about the, the, uh, the prodigal son? Kid was like a lost sheep. The father, he came home and the father had every reason to be like, told you so. Told you so. Oh, oh you want to come back up in here? Oh, yeah, we have a big old feast up in here. You, you can go down the street to McDonald's. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I gave you what you wanted. This doesn't seem like the, the, the heart of him. He's a good shepherd. He's someone who, who looks at people and is like, those sheep don't have a shepherd. They're in trouble. What happens when you're like hanging out down at the inner harbor um, and you see a kid that you know, their parents aren't around? I'm not talking about like a teenager. I'm talking about like, like somebody like Camilla's age. You ever had that like alert go off in your mind where you've seen a kid that doesn't have a parent around? I know, especially like, you know, the moms in here, you're like, that kid doesn't have a parent. Like wh- what happens here? Like, like wh- what is my position? Because... I don't know this kid, but they don't have a parent. I I think this is what Jesus, this is what he's looking at. I think a lot of times we think of lost people as, as, you know, as enemies of the faith. And some of them, they take that stance. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But the heart of Jesus is bigger than that. He's like, I I knew them when they were born. I, I, you know, I I knew how, I know how many hairs are on their head. I like, I I know everything about them. I know their beginning. I even know where they're going to end. And, and like, I I look at the say that they're in and they're just lost. That like, like they're just lost. And, and maybe it's because like, we can't see like the fullness of people in that way. We can't see them like they're our kids. To where I know when my kids, when Cole's so mad and like he's about to like burst blood vessels in his face because Chase has done something. And I'm like, I, I could just kind of see the bigness of it. Like some people are like, man, there's something wrong with this kid. He has an attitude problem. And I'm like, nah, he's, he's just got issues. He's just upset. He's just, he's just losing it. But I know who he is. This isn't, this isn't the force. This isn't how the story ends. Now, I just wonder if, if, like, if we could just see, God, uh, see people the way that God sees them. Sheep have a better opportunity uh, for survival w- with a shepherd. Actually, Ezekiel, back in the Old Testament, um, compared Israel to a sheep without a shepherd. He says, um, so, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They, watered, uh, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Like sheep bothered by wolves uh, or lying down and unable to help themselves and, and having no shepherd to guide and protect them, the people were maligned by their religious leaders. Remember, like coming off of the, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was 
was intentionally like provoking and pointing the contrast from himself to the religious leaders, right? And mind you, remember, this is who Jesus is calling the wolves. He's saying like, stop following them. These aren't your shepherds. These are wolves. They're coming, like, like they're, they're keeping you from knowing the truth. They're keeping you from following me. Sheep without a shepherd points to people who are in great danger and without the resources to escape from it. I, I, I think that not only did Jesus come to be the shepherd, but he's the one who could show people how to avoid life's pitfalls. Just a reminder of, of him saying that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Then Matthew continues, he says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Jesus like, you know, keeping with that agricultural theme, right? The idea of a farm, you have sheep on the farm and, and now he's pointing back to the harvest, right? And, and I, I just like, you know, that, that idea of, uh, of the harvest is plentiful is saying like the harvest is big. We did good this year. Like, look, like you know, look at the crops, look at the, the, like, look at the fields and, and it's plentiful. Now listen, like this is the part where I'm not the greatest pastor because I know nothing about agriculture, but I know that the harvest is plentiful is a good thing. But here's the thing about it, there being a, a, a big harvest. Someone's got to bring it into the barn, Right. You know, um, we're about to take our trip out to, uh, um, to Ocean City every year. We go for 4th of July because we like pain, apparently. And we like to, you know, swim with every Marylander in the state. Um, it's just our, it's our own love for punishment, I guess. Go sit across the bridge forever. Um, but when, on your way out there, we, we pass a lot of farmland. There's lots of little farmland out there on the, uh, on the eastern shore. And you could just kind of like see like all of the, you know, um, the, the big... Uh, what are they called? Like the big, the big water sprayers? I don't know. Like the, the things that waters the crops? Something, whatever. Who knows? Um, I told you it wasn't my strong suit. I, could, I can do sports. I don't do agriculture. Um, you just see them and you just see like, like, like you know, they're, they're like, there's these fields that go on for like miles and miles and miles. Now the thing about it, like the thing about these, about these areas is that, you know, yeah, you could, you could have a machine to grow them. You could have a machine to pick them. But at, the, at some point, somebody's doing the work to get these things into the barn. Someone's got to bring, bring them in. And Jesus is pointing to these guys and he's saying, listen, there's already much that's been accomplished. I, I mean, I just wonder, like, I wonder if the disciples understood the fullness of what Jesus is saying. I wonder if like, and, and maybe this, this is how I read it. Like the idea that the, 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 the harvest is big, that the harvest is plentiful. It's just saying that like, you know, everything has grown the way that it should. Everything got enough sun. Everything's been watered. I mean, for, for, for them, it's like, you know, this isn't just a new thing. This isn't like the, the, the story of the redemption and the story of the gospel. This didn't just start. Like Jesus is pointing back to, you know, um, the whole thing being put into motion way back in the garden. That was when the redemption story started. Them being kicked out of the, uh, out of the garden of Eden, Jesus has been working this. So he's saying like, you know, from the, from the, from the teaching of the prophets, from, you know, um, the exile experience to awaiting the Messiah, even John the Baptist, all of these guys have, have, have contributed and, and have, have uh, had a part to play in the harvest. And it's ready. The harvest is ready but someone has to bring it in the barn. 
Jesus speaking of people who are ripe for inclusion in the kingdom. And in that situation, it's necessary that something be done to bring them in. A crop of wheat needs workers to, to bring the grain into the barn. And without the laborers, the crop can't be reaped. Someone's got to help bring it in. Jesus saying, like, the, the work is done. And even for us, like, in our evangelism, I hope that this is, this is, this is comforting to you. That Jesus is saying, like, hey, I, I do the saving work. You just got to bring people into the barn. Someone's just got to help them. Someone's just got to take them. Like, they're ready to accept Jesus. They're, they're ready to follow Jesus. Someone's just got to bring them in. There's just work that's got to be done. Jesus says that in the great harvest of which he is speaking, the workers are few. And finally, Matthew says, therefore, speaking of Jesus, sorry, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is specific and it almost like flips it on its head. He's saying like, hey, um, I'm talking to you guys and I've been training you guys. Obviously, you're supposed to be part of these laborers. But in addition to being laborers yourself, pray back to me, pray to the Lord, pray to God that he would send more laborers into the harvest. Assume yourself as laborers, but in the same way, be praying for more. Jesus looked at the crowds and following him and referred to them as as a field ripe for harvest. And many people are ready to give their lives to Christ if someone would show them how. And what Jesus does is he commands us to pray that people will respond to the needs for workers. See, uh, often when, when, when we pray for something, God answers our prayers by using us. You know, one of the most encouraging things that we heard when we moved up here is for people saying like, man, we've been praying for our new church to start in Towson. We've been praying for this. This is an answer to prayer. Be prepared for God to use you to show another person the way to him. See, Jesus affirmed the fact that believers' prayers uh, participate in the fulfillment of God's plans. The way that God wants to fulfill his plans is, is, is off of our own lips, off of our own requests. Like this is something that God says, hey, it is your job. You, should, you have heard and now it's time for you to do. You, you need to go and be a part of this, but you also need to be praying about this. You need to be praying that there will be more, that there will be um, more people to go into this. I, like, here, here's what it looks like for our church. I don't know if you pray for this, but if you pray for this, I, I, I want you to stop. Um, we would be tempted to look around our theater and think, I pray that God fills this room. You ever prayed that? Like, we have such a good church. We love what we're, we're doing here. We love what everything that we're a part of. I pray that God fills this room. I pray that God brings so many unsaved people into this room. I pray that God like just fills this place and we have to move to like three services because God just fills this room. Stop praying that, please. In, in Jesus' name, stop praying that. I don't think that's what we're supposed to be praying for. It's not that I don't love lost people. I love them. Love lost people. It's not that I don't want a big church. That'd be cool, I guess. But I think that we're supposed to be praying for laborers into the harvest. I'd rather people know Jesus. I'd rather, I'd rather that, uh, that what, what fills our rooms, the people that end up sitting next to you, are other people that see their jobs, that see their neighborhoods, that see their homes, that see their communities as harvest fields. I, I, I've been praying since the very beginning that God would not just send us people to join our church or send us people to come sit here on a Sunday, that God would send us laborers. 
There's not a single coach of anything that says, man, I hope that people come and play for our team this year. I hope that there's some kids that are interested in, in this sport. Or even a play, like, man, I hope there's some kids that love musicals. No. If you're building a team, you want people that, that are ready to play. You don't even need the best players. You just want people that are going to come and work hard. You're in a position of hiring people. You, you just, do you just want an application? Has that ever been a thing where you put out a job post and you're like, man, I hope somebody submits an application. We'll take anybody. I, I think that what we're supposed to be praying for is for laborers. Jesus is saying like, hey, this has to be bigger than just the 12 of you. And this is one of these moments where the disciples were, were connected to the gospel that like when Jesus command for them to pray and for Jesus command for them to pray for laborers, we're the fulfillment of that. That we're, we're the answer to the prayers of the disciples and for those who would read this of being laborers for the sake of the gospel. I, sure, fine. And uh, invite your friends, bring, bring people into our church. I, I love it. And, and, and hopefully what they'll become is, is followers of Jesus who help other people become followers of Jesus. But this, that's the prayer request. Does that make sense? You guys get the difference? Like that, that, that's gotta be the prayer request that, that we would be people that are praying for other laborers to go into the harvest as we are there now. Um, so as we close, I, I just got two questions for us as it relates to the compassion of Jesus. As Jesus, the, um, the, as his compassion brought him to all the cities and the villages and his compassion led him to teach and to proclaim and to heal. And his compassion led him to look at people and, and see their condition. Do you realize that you are part of the compassion of Jesus? Do you realize that that is a part of who you are? As Jesus looks at and loves those, he desperately wants to come into himself. You have to be a part of the plan to bring them to Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we get involved uh, to Jesus' desire to involve us? Well, one is this, that we got to be praying for workers in the harvest. The question is, are, are you praying for other workers in the harvest? Are you praying that, that, that God would send others? Oh, it's hard for you at your job to be the only believer on site. It's hard for you in your community to, to, like, to be the only one that like, you know, obviously you're, you're, you and your whole family are coming home from church on a Sunday and people think that's weird or it, it's hard for you amongst your group of friends. You need to be praying that God would send other workers into your harvest, into the harvest. Man, it's hard to do it by yourself. It, it, it is really hard to be, to, to be a follower of Jesus by yourself. You need to be praying that God would send more. And maybe not may not look the way it looks like for you and maybe not may not come in the person that you expect it to. Almost I guarantee you that it won't pray. Uh, it will come in the, in the, in the people that expect you, uh, you expect it to. But God promises that. God, is, God, is, God has answered this prayer in that because I'm looking at it. I remember meeting like a lot of you the first time and I, I prayed for you. Prayed that God would send you into the, what, we, what we were doing, that God would call you into what we were doing because we believe that we were doing what God called us to do. Are you praying for workers into the harvest? And are you the answer to someone else's prayer for workers into the harvest? This is something I want you to consider. It's almost like an identity question. Do you recognize yourself as being the answer to somebody else's prayer? Do you realize that in your neighborhood, there's probably somebody sitting there like, man, I really wish there were some more believers that lived in this neighborhood. Like there's somebody on your job that's like, am I the only person, Jesus, that, that loves you here? 
Like I look around, I don't think there's anybody else that really cares about me. If you live around Towson or if you like, you know, go around the campus, there's probably somebody who prayer walks around that campus and saying, God, would you just send laborers here? Would you just send people here that, that love you and have a desire to follow you and have a desire to bring people to yourself? You have to recognize yourself as a part of the fulfillment of the prayers of others. Because when we're able to recognize that, we're called to, re, uh, to act and to respond with the compassion that Jesus does. If we have that identity, we have that mindfulness that we are the, the, uh, the, the fulfillment of the prayers of, uh, of others, maybe it would inspire us to have the compassion towards people the way that Jesus does. Look, we, we, I refuse to be somebody that holds up biblical standards and, and biblical lifestyle, whatever that means, and Lord over and just point the finger at, at folks without showing them the love and the care of Jesus. I think a lot of times that, that what God was calling us to be laborers, we were just called for people, like people that just like set like harvest fields on fire, just damning in the hell. Sorry, Sydney and Cole, I said damn. Um, like, I, 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 I just refuse to do that because I don't think that's the heart of the father, man. I just don't. I think God is a standard, but I think that standard is for those who love him. And the least that you and I can do is to match the best that we can, the compassion of Jesus as we approach for people and we let God do the cleaning up because that's what he promises the Holy Spirit will do. Amen? I think that's what God calls us to do, y'all. Can I pray and then we'll transition into communion? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.